Thank you very much, Karen. You listen to the words of that song and you're experiencing and walking and living those words. As God ministers to us, then we can be used by God to reach out and minister to others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 and 4, Paul talks about the fact that as we're encouraged in Christ, we in turn should reach out to encourage others. And think about that in light of our daily lives. In the front of our bulletin, the first Sunday, second Sunday this month, well, first and second this Sunday this month, we list places of employment, we list schools. And that's to remind us that in our day-by-day living, we should be concerned about others, whether it be a mate, whether it be a Children, whether it be a neighbor, a co-worker, students, just developing an ambassador mindset. I'm going to be sharing Christ with others. I live in a foreign country. I should listen to their struggles. And if you follow the news at all, we've had a fair amount of struggle. A lot is happening in the minds of people with police shootings and some what they would call police brutality that may have taken place. Those are open doors. People are hurting, they're struggling. Point them to Christ. Pointing them to Christ as the bread of life, the living water. God gives many opportunities as we have an ambassador mindset. Father, we thank you that we can rest in Christ, we can rest in you. We thank you for your word. As we interact with a portion of it this morning, we want to be open and sensitive to hearing, applying in our life. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. I think it was about 35, 36, maybe 37 years ago, myself and a couple other men took a group of teenagers backpacking. We gave them instructions concerning how to prepare. We told them to bring a light backpack, and by light we met a sleeping bag that did not wear a lot or weigh a lot to bring dry goods, not canned goods, because we were going to be leaving on a Friday afternoon, and we were going to be doing about 13 miles, I think it's about 13 from World's End State Park to Route 220, going to do that on a Friday night and a Saturday, we wanted to be done by Saturday evening. We got to World's End State Park, and if you know anything about World's End State Park, you have a pretty steep climb up, climb up a lot of rocks coming out of World's End State Park. We got up about halfway up that hill, and one of the guys was there, oh, I'm tired. We said, we haven't gone very far. We said, my pack is really heavy. Well, he said, hang on for a while and keep going, you'll make it. We got to the hill, and... Went a little further, and he said, i got to take a break. We took a break, and I said to him, what do you have in your pack? And lo and behold, he opened it. All the food he brought to eat was canned goods. He said, can I eat some of it now? (laughs) And in grace, some other people took some of the cans and carried it for him. But he didn't prepare properly. Standing in contrast to that Joseph in Genesis chapter 39 and 40 had been sold into slavery. 
and he was in Potiphar's house. And Scripture tells us that Mrs. Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, came to him day after day and pled with him, come to bed with me, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. And finally the day came that no one else was in the house, and it was only Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and she said, come to bed with me. And Joseph said, no, I can't. Can't sin against God, can't sin against my master. She grabbed his garment, and he fled, and she had the garment in her hands. And we know the account that he ended up in prison for that. Joseph was prepared for temptation. Jesus, as God's son, living humbly on earth, prepares for his arrest, his trial, his beating, his crucifixion, through watching and praying for three intense hours. The eleven slept for three hours rather than watching and praying. Both prepared, but there were different results because Jesus prepared by watching and praying. The eleven prepared by sleeping. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, reading together verses 43 through 52. Mark chapter 14, reading together verses 43 through 52. Again, this is in the context of the Lord's Supper and that Jesus being in the garden. And then what happens? Mark 14 and verse 43. As Jesus was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest's ear, or cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scripture must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. As we consider the arrest of Jesus, I want to emphasize that he is prepared. He is ready for the arrest that follows because he watched and prayed. He opened his heart to God. He opened his heart to his father. He shared his thinking. Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And also, he said in verse 41 to the 11, enough, the hour has come. Three hours with his father prepared him for the arrest, the trial, the beating, and his crucifixion. And when he says enough, the hour has come, enough seems to communicate that Christ has spent time with his father 
he was ready for what was to follow. I prayed, I'm ready. It's like a test. I don't know if you've ever been through it. Studying for a test and you finally say, I've had enough. I'm ready for it. I can't do anything more. And you can sit back and basically do nothing because you're ready. You're not cramming at the last moment. Jesus is prepared. He's ready. And as you read the text, as you read through 40 verses 43, through the time of the crucifixion, Mark seems to state that with objectivity. He's just stating what is happening, which stands in contrast to the Garden of Gethsemane, where there's intense emotion and feeling as Jesus goes to his Father. It seems like Mark is communicating that the battle was won in the Garden. The arrest, the trial, and the crucifixion were a breeze, if you please, and I don't say that in the wrong way, in contrast to surrendering his will to the Father. What is taking place, the text says in verse 43, just as he was speaking, that is, as Jesus said, enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he is saying that, Judas comes on the scene. And keep in mind, as he is saying that, he is prepared for what is coming. He prepared in verses 32 through 42. What happens? Judas, one of the twelve, comes on the scene. See, Judas had made preparation before to prepare for what was going to happen. Look at chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. See, Jesus was prepared. Judas was prepared, but in a different way. He was not present in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had already left. But we find someone else was not present. But they were there, in a sense, the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders. They sent the crowd armed with swords and clubs. It's interesting, they have swords and clubs. Why? Jesus later says, I was with you and you didn't arrest me when I taught and so on. But they were sent by the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. And the reason I include the teachers, the chief priests, and the elders as being present in a sense, because they sent the crowd. The religious leaders are the ones going after the Son of God. It's interesting and ironic that the religious leaders are behind the arrest of Jesus. If anyone is behind Jesus to help him, it should be religious people, but they want to have him arrested. Jesus had confronted them time after time during his ministry, and 
They were out to kill him. But again, Jesus is prepared. The preparation in verse 44 by Judas. Now the betrayer arranged a signal with them. That is, the crowd armed with swords and clubs that had been sent from the chief priests, teachers of the law. He'd arranged a signal, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. See, Judas prepared, but in a different way. And he clearly says, the one that I kiss. James Edwards says in his commentary on Mark, the particular sign, a betrayal kiss, is somewhat puzzling since nowhere is Jesus greeted by his disciples with a kiss. Nor is it entirely certain, as some commentators maintain, that a kiss was customary greeting between rabbis and disciples. Kisses of homage and respect were practiced in Israel, however. When Judas approaches Jesus, he kisses him, not with modesty and reserve, but lavishly, even passionately, according to the Greek. Like Job's early, earlier kiss years ago, when he gave a kiss to Amasa, with a dagger in his hand and thrust it into his side. The significance of the betrayal kiss, that gesture along with the honor title rabbi, makes mockery of Jesus. The manner of betrayal becomes the first example, the mockery of Jesus, which will play a key role in the crucifixion. End of quote. See, it's one thing to walk up to someone and if I won't do this, I won't embarrass my wife and give her a little peck on the cheek. But it's another thing to give her a lavish kiss. Judas is betraying Christ. That's his action. The action that follows. After he says, Rabbi, we find those that have their swords and clubs, seize Jesus and arrest him. Now, the idea of the word seize in the Greek means to lay hands on, to do violence to. It's a strong word. And in recent days and in recent years, there have been accusations of police having excess brutality towards someone. That's the idea here. There's excess brutality. They seize him. They arrest him. They take him under their power. They're holding him fast. Why? Because the leaders, the chief priest, said this is what you are to do. That's interesting then, verse 47 says, One of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now Mark doesn't say who that was. But if you look at John's gospel, John would say it was Peter. 
It's interesting that Mark does not give any name. He just says someone cut off the high priest's ear, and we know that Jesus took care of healing that. The only names mentioned in the arrest are Judas and Jesus. Mark is driving home the point that Jesus is alone. He's the only one who was prepared correctly. So he poses a question in verse 48. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come with me or come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But scripture must be fulfilled. That's a legitimate question. Why are you coming after me this way? Am I leading a rebellion? Jesus definitely was not leading a rebellion. But yet it was an armed crowd that came after him. The mere number of people, plus being arrested, plus being seized, makes it look bad for Jesus. It's painting a picture contrary to the mission of Christ. And then Jesus clearly states, every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts. But you didn't arrest me, why not? There's reasons why, because we're dealing with the fulfillment of Scripture. And then he makes an interesting statement. But the Scripture must be fulfilled. But the scripture must be fulfilled. Jesus being arrested, being tried, being beaten, and going to the cross is the fulfillment of scripture. You can read Isaiah chapter 53. We won't turn there this morning. Verses 7 through 12 that talks some about Christ and what he went through. Next Sunday, Lord willing, as we think about the unjust trial that Jesus went through, we find that Scripture was being fulfilled. It had to happen the way it did, because Scripture is being fulfilled. So Jesus says, Am I leading a rebellion, that you come with me, come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scripture must be fulfilled. All that Jesus went through in his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, ties in with the fulfillment of scripture. Very critical when it comes to understanding the text and why Jesus didn't respond, why he responded in certain ways, why he was willing to go through an unjust trial. Again, it ties in with Scripture. Then the end, verse 50 says, Then everyone deserted him and fled. The eleven deserted Jesus. Remember verse 27 of Mark 14 says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Who's the shepherd? Jesus, he be... He's being struck, and what happens? The eleven flee, just as he said. 
the 11 were not prepared through watching and praying. They were unprepared while Jesus was prepared. Their desertion carries with it an, an incriminating wallop. Because verse 23 of chapter 14 said, Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. They drank from the cup at the Last Supper with Christ. They all pledged to die with him in verse 31 of chapter 14. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. But in verse 50, all deserted him. He's alone. But ready because... He was prepared through watching and praying. Verse 51, 52 says, A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind him. As you study what various writers might say about this text, Many of them would be inclined to say that the young man was probably John Mark, the writer of this gospel. They surmise that, as tradition suggests, the Passover meal had been eaten in an upper room, the upper room of the family home of Mark, which became a prominent gathering place for Jesus' followers, according to the book of Acts. So when Jesus and the eleven went out to the Mount of Olives, Mark may have followed. And what happens? If it is Mark, he flees naked. Kind of an interesting sidelight. So apparently in his rush, he threw a garment around him as he went out, and he fled. What happens? Jesus is all alone. I would pose the question, what is the point of Mark 14, 43 through 52? Jesus is the Son of God. His prediction is stated in 1430 and 31. That prediction starts to come true. Also, Mark 8, 31 and 32. Mark 9, 30 through 32. Mark 10, 32 through 34, begin to be a reality. In those passages, Jesus said, the Son of Man must be turned over to men. He must go to the cross. He must die. He will come from the dead. As the Son of God, he predicted what was going to happen with Peter, what was going to happen with the 11. He predicted his trial. He predicted his crucifixion. And I think, Mark 14, 43 through 52 is demonstrating Jesus as the Son of God. What he predicted is beginning to happen. Secondly, tied in with what's the point of this passage, what Jesus spoke concerning watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak is played out in chapter 14 through 52. Jews Jesus watched and prayed. The eleven slept. 
Jesus said, watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. He did. He was victorious. The 11 slept. And what he said is coming true. What did they do? They deserted and fled. I would pose a question. How did the Roman believers hear this passage? Assuming that Mark was written to the Roman believers, how did they hear it back in that day? In light of the persecution they were experiencing, in light of the sufferings they were going through because of Christ, they apparently heard, we're going through the sufferings of Christ. As Jesus went to the cross, he went through difficulty. We're going through difficulty because of Christ. We need to watch and pray. So Alan's going to light Nero's garden tonight. and Alan and his family and some other believers get together and they say, Lord, here's what's coming tonight. We're just going to watch and pray because... We want to die, or I want to die faithful. This section over here is going to be thrown to the wild beast on Saturday for sport. And the stands are going to be filled as people cheer and so on as they're tore apart by the wild beast. And we as a body, if we were in the first century, get together and we pray and say, Lord, we're watching, we're praying, because we know the flesh is weak. We'll be tempted to say, I'm not gonna, I'll, I'll deny Christ so that I'm not thrown to the wild beast. Mark is writing to a specific local church, specific people that he is seeking to encourage and minister to. I think they heard loud and clear. We don't want to be like the 11 that desert Christ. We want to be like Christ. We want to watch. We want to pray so that when our day of persecution comes, we're faithful. A couple applications as we think about this passage today. If we have prepared for a trial through watching and praying, which means surrender, we're ready to go through the trial. There is confidence, grace, and readiness. One may not know all the trial will involve, but there's an experiential knowledge that God will enable moment by moment. The biggest part of trials that we face For Jesus, it was the cross. For the early church, it was persecution. Sometimes today it may be persecution for us in different ways. It may be some physical trial, but the key of watching and praying. And that is surrender. I want to do your will, Father. Surrender. Let's learn to watch and pray until we say enough. The hour has come. In my years in college, more college than high school, 
I rarely studied for a test the night before the test. The reason I usually did not study for a test the night before a test is because I'd already said enough and prepared. So each day after class, I would take my notes and I would read over them. I would read the homework and the next day I would read over the notes for two days and the notes for three days and I would check the uh, textbook and so on. So by the time it came for the test, I could say enough. I know this stuff. And that's the essence, I think, of watching and praying. We have surrendered to God. I'm ready. I'm ready for this surgery that I'm going to face because I've spent time with God and I've said, God, if I get fixed, that's icing in the cake. And if I don't get fixed, I get promoted to heaven. I win. But I'm surrendered to you. I have no demands other than I need your grace to go through this difficulty. Watching and praying, surrender, that means in a struggle, some struggles that my mother went through a number of years ago. She seemed to breeze through those struggles fairly well because I know she watched and she prayed before they came. Watching and praying, surrender, is a guy that is in our church who experienced some deep struggles on the job. And I would talk to him sometimes and say, how are you doing? And I'm, I'm struggling, but I'm doing pretty good. What happened? He watched, he prayed, he prepared for those struggles that he was going to have in a job and said, God, I will work hard as unto you in the midst of this difficulty. One of you ladies, not mentioning a name, went through some great difficulty with a family struggle and seemed to go through that quite well because you watched and you prayed beforehand. You were ready for the difficulty. Prepared people don't demand anything. They're dependent. They're experiencing grace. Thus their focus is on the Lord, not the trial. See, Jesus was ready. Jesus did not demand a fair trial. Jesus did not demand a pain-free crucifixion. He was prepared. What happens in trials seems to be largely determined by preparation. The time in prayer, or the time in preparation through watching and prayer, is a time of surrender, not seeking your will. Prepared means God, Christ, are bigger than the trial. The last couple months, Ruth Anna's had many more migraines than normal for her. And some of them have been very intense. And as I pray for Ruth Ann, and we pray together, and I think her desire from what she shared is not that everything be fixed, but a surrender, God, if this is what you've called me to, 
for the rest of my life. That's okay. I need grace. I need you to minister to me. See, that's watching and praying. It's surrendering your will, my will, the will of Jesus to the Father, not demanding a certain outcome. Jesus got the shaft. He got the short end of the stick, as we'll see next week, in his trial. But he was surrendered. He didn't demand. God, this isn't fair. They're not giving me a just trial. He was surrendered. It's interesting, too, and I think an application, that religious people may be some of the greatest enemies of genuine believers who are prepared through watching and prayer. Who is sending the armed crowd after Jesus? The religious people. In persecuted countries today, go to China, go to Vietnam, as well as other countries, you will find that the persecution is primarily at the hand of religious people. That's been true down through the ages. So don't be alarmed. Jesus is being sought by religious people. We may be persecuted by religious people. You confront a wayward believer and they may become your enemy for a period of time. Someone religious. Don't back off. Just be faithful. Lack of preparation through watching and praying is seen in one's response in trial. There may be a fleeing. There may be a demanding freedom, which is a form of fleeing. There may be bitterness. There may be passive deliverance. There may be attacks on others. King Saul lost his kingship because he was not prepared. Judah in chapter 38, who is contrasted with Joseph in chapters 39 and 40, ended up impregnating his daughter-in-law because he didn't watch and pray. I think of a young man who faces some trials and ended up making one bad choice after another because there was no watching, there was no praying. Husbands, wives, are you watching and praying as it relates to the trials that you face in day-by-day living? Children, are you watching and praying as you seek to honor your parents with obedience? We are not going through the trial that Jesus did. We're not going through the trial that the 11 did. But as you look at the flow of Scripture overall, watching and praying is necessary preparation. Think of a trial you're facing. Watch and pray. Some of you will be going to college and high school this fall, and you will find that as you seek to live out your faith for God, you may be made fun of at times just because you don't go along with the crowd. Be prepared. Watch and pray. There's a great frustration in our country because people are saying we get the choice between bad and worse as we vote for a president. I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. 
But are you watching and praying as it relates to the coming election so that you don't fall prey to bitterness and anger and frustration after the election? Just watch and pray. How are you doing in the trials of life due to your preparation or maybe lack thereof? How are we doing as a church in our time of trials? Are we prepared? We have people who are older and are aging. And one of these days is going to be promoted. Are we as a body watching and praying as that takes place? Are we watching and praying for parents as they teach and train their children to walk with God, knowing that with training children comes some difficulty? There's a tremendous concern today about our nation and losing some of the freedoms that we ex- experience. Are we watching and praying that if the, that loss of freedom becomes a reality, that we will do well? Watch and pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a text like Mark chapter 14, 43 through 52, that as we look at it in the flow of the text of Mark, it is very rich, very profitable for those who originally heard it or read it. They were facing persecution, but would have been encouraged to watch and to pray. We don't face that same type of persecution in our country, but we do face trials and difficulties. And overall in Scripture, we're encouraged to watch and to pray. May we be a body of believers that is encouraging one another to watch, to pray. May we be a body that together watches and prays. And we are thankful, Father, that we're not alone. Your spirit has been given to live within us. We have fellowship with your spirit. We have union with Christ. And because of that union with Christ and that fellowship of the spirit, we have that freedom to come to you and say, God, I don't like this trial. I'm ready to run from it. Where are you? But spend enough time with you till we come to the point of saying, okay, God, I surrender. I'll rest in your grace. So mature us, Father, in knowing what it means to be united to Christ, to have fellowship with your Spirit, so that we are prepared through watching in prayer and the trials of life. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.